Well, a lot of preaching starts right there in Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. And we are continuing the allegory of building a house as compared to the building of a Christian home. As we uh, move forward toward family camp, it's been my thought to continually just preach and teach about the, the home as we prepare for that time. And today we're going to be talking about what a Christian's home's ultimate goal and purpose is. You know, God set this foundational principle very clearly, very clearly early on in Scripture. And I'm going to read with specific emphasis beginning with verse 20 of Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 20, And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters <clears throat> brought forth abundantly after their kind. And every winged fowl after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let fowl multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so, and God made the beast of the earth after his kind, the cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let us make man, listen to this, in our image. <laughs> A little bit different here, isn't it? After our likeness. And let them have, listen to this, dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Now, I would state that this is, there's just not a physical principle direction from God here. But there's also a spiritual one. And let me explain that. We are to be fruitful. Good fruit, by the way. The fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. We are to multiply. We are to reproduce spiritually Christians, other Christians, godly homes into other godly Homes, we are to subdue it. Our homes are to make known the gospel. We are to have dominion. 
1 John 4, 4, ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Dominion. When Christ came, we can now have dominion. We have power. Our Christian home should be everything God wants it to be. But the fact of the matter is, God's plan is for our children to leave their home and reproduce another godly home into the next generation. I see Brother Mike shaking his head. We know where we're at. We have a concern for the next generation. I would suggest, though, that this next generation should produce something more godly than their parents. That should be natural as anything. Kids, children, you need to build on what your parents have done and then build greater on that. That's really the only way. All other way is, is a downhill travel. Godliness is not a destination, it's a direction. It is a building block to be added to. It's a spiritual inheritance that should be passed on. It is that spiritual inheritance that the next generation should build upon and build greater, but I'm concerned that the spiritual inheritance is being used up by Christian parents today, like the bumper sticker on an expensive car. Retired, happy, and spending my children's inheritance. <laughs> and we have complacent children who use up their spiritual inheritance, seeing their children become spiritually impoverished. I've mentioned this before, that we live better than King Solomon in many ways. Why? Because of inheritance built upon inheritance. Not only wealth, but knowledge and understanding is passed on through the generations. Proverbs 19.14, House and riches are the inheritance of fathers. People who claim self-made millionaires, baloney. It's through inheritance of some sort. We have sure gotten this principle down in the physical, haven't we? Just look at the ease, comfort, and things of life we have today. And there's nothing wrong, nothing wrong, get me straight, with the inheritance of things in a more pleasant life. But if it comes at the expense of spiritual blessings and spiritual growth, you have fallen into the snare of the devil. The physical things of this world has crowded out the spiritual blessings and growth of many. The result, I'll just give it to you straight, spoiled, unhappy, weak-minded, world-addicted people full of it. And thus churches who have been caught in that same snare of the devil. To be sure what a spiritual inheritance looks like, let's look in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And for sake of time, <clears throat> I have a lot of material. I'll just go ahead and read that in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. If you can follow, that's fine. You can catch up. 
says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, I want you to get this. Remember, this is the spiritual inheritance things. Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you, <laughs> what he wants to give unto you, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> wisdom, understanding, knowledge. Being enlightened that you may know, that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of His power to us who do believe according to the working of His mighty power which we wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. That's what we need to be passing down, folks. There's the spiritual blessings. You know, there are at least a couple of bittersweet events in the life of a Christian. One is the death of a Christian friend, a family member, a brother or sister in the Lord. It's sweet because we know by faith that they are in heaven, but bitter because we so miss their presence. Another bittersweet moment is when your child gets married and leaves the home. It is sweet because we know that's God's plan. And it pays dividends through wonderful little things called grandchildren. <laughs> However, it's bitter to see them leave to lose control, to lose personal time with them. It feels like a loss, though we know it is right and gain for everyone when it's, listen to this, in the Lord with the right person at the right time. Well, again, that may seem so far away for you with younger children. But when it arrives, it will seem so soon. And it will take many off guard unless you have been planning for that time. Listen to me now. Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. Even when you have young children, you need to have a vision for that married time of life when they leave and know what that looks like and be working toward that. Let me tell you when the planning starts. The time when God has put them in the womb of the mother. At first plan is prayer that day after day forward for their spouse in the future. Or a clear calling of God to your child to serve God in a special way as a single person. You know, it's the general rule and way of God that children marry, begin new Christian homes. As we kind of seen in the beginning of creation. And so our message today is focused on how to get them to the marriage altar in the will of God. So today's message will be entitled, I Do. I Do. Let's pray. Father, I pray you speak to all our hearts. There's something here for everybody. 
Maybe something for parents. Maybe something for the children. Perhaps something for our own marriages that we can glean out of this. I just pray you speak to our hearts today as individuals and to guide us in your way. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There are two words that represent a wedding. To me, I would pick the words, I do. I do is the expected response to the vows in a marriage ceremony. It is the acknowledgement of God and, and of human witnesses of a lifelong commitment to one another that is spelled out in some specific ways. Now let me ask the question, who is that person that you should marry? And I'll just tell you, for those who are married, it's that one sitting next to you. But I remember growing up in the Catholic religion. I was one of the younger children and did not attend Catholic school. I started not sending us to Catholic school, but we attended public school. So that landed me in a certain classroom on Saturday morning called catechism classes for the teaching of the Catholic faith. So this is probably second grade or seven or eight years old. can't quite remember. But for whatever reason, one particular thing the teacher said, I remember, she said that God has only one person for you to marry. And that's funny how things... There are certain things in life that Patty reminds me of that are really important that I... I don't remember. And then there's things like this that I remember, clear as day. I remember thinking, the world is so big, how will I ever find that one girl? I mean, that, I mean that's how I, I took that. That's how I was thinking, no matter what that person was saying, and probably said a little, maybe said it right and all those things, that's the way I took it. You know, however she said it, it has some truth in it. Marriage is to seek a one and only person for your life, for marriage. And technically speaking, God already knows who that one person is. In reality, the options, though, for marriage are really, there are many. Take your pick. Be careful, though. <laughs> the choice is only one, though the options are many. The one and only true love to be of your life. To be able to, listen to this, honestly say to your husband or wife that there's only been one that I have shared my heart, soul, and body with. And that is you. It is the greatest wedding gift you can give to your spouse. And it's worth every effort to get to the wedding altar with that type of purity. But it can be a tricky road to the wedding altar with many traps set by the devil. Traps that you ignorantly or willfully entered into. Thus regretfully not being able to tell your future husband or wife that you were always their one and only. You know, I love to listen to the stories. I do. I mean, it just melts my heart. Of a boy and a girl who grew up together as children became friends and then married. I wish that could have been my story with Patty. But you know that that's kind of a rare thing. 
to happen. What is more common is that before the right one comes along, the heart, soul, and body has already been shared with others before marriage. Yes, that is a regret. And you should do everything to avoid it. But there is a way of restoration. It is in sorrowful admission of sin. It is in true repentance. It is in a severing of all past connections to that sin, asking God to erase even the memory of it. It is a new covenant to be made from now on. From now on. From this point forward. My heart, soul, and body are reserved for the one and only whom I shall marry. And ask God to heal that scar so that your true one and only will no longer see it anymore. That they would have the confidence that they are the one and only. Now, should someone take the stance of complete purity and demand complete purity of another, May I remind you of Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 28. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. May I also add, if that is true for the married, then could I say that the one who lusteth after the one who they have not married yet have committed fornication in their heart already? Don't take too high a stance either here. Be sure you know who you are. When people say they have entered into the marriage altar in purity, it is referring to some certain standard of physical, <laughs> sensual contact. And dif different people draw that line of physical contact in various places. To, complain, to com claim complete purity of mind is like saying, I never sinned. Marriage, I want you to listen to this, is similar to salvation in this sense. There is an unperfect entering into it. We've all sinned and fallen short. But the past is wiped away based on a new future with another. It is not that the truth of the past is wiped away but it has become powerless. <laughs> it has been dismissed as evidence against you. It has been thrown out of court to be ever stricken from the record. It's not that we will have no troubles moving forward in this new relationship, because we will. But through the commitment to one another by vow, in the marriage likeness to Christ and the church, there is now the power to overcome anything that arises in your marriage in that one and only relationship. There's no specific... Let me, let me get this straight too because I've been through all this stuff. There is no specific roadmap to marriage. There is no specific foolproof Method, betrothal, courtship, dating. I have found through the years that just about every person has a different, different definition for those terms anyway. What I have found through these marriage programs is this. Though there are merits in them, 
The downside is they simply put God in a box. You better watch that. That's what happens with the law. You start to put God in a box. God's amazing what he does. All the things that he's doing, as Brother Mike was saying, it's incredible. Let him do what he will do. A religious marriage approach is a dangerous approach. Now, when I say religious, I define this as a system whose theology and teaching is a mix between God's ideas and man's ideas. That's, to me, that's how I define religion. Through my experience over the years, I've prayed something like this. God, I give you full control to arrange the marriage of my children. I will put no box around you so that you may freely provide a spouse for my children with whoever, however. My only stipulation is that I know that you have done it. That's all I need to know. And I will search for that confirmation by wisdom of your word as revealed by the Holy Spirit of God. I propose that there is no common roadmap to the marriage altar. Rather, it is a leading by the guide, the guide of the Holy Spirit. It is through prayer, through God's word, through careful study and love of my child, a heart poured out to God, a preparing of them, and guidance by the Holy Spirit. This is where I find peace to guide my children and to give my blessings in a marriage. Now, it is not uncommon when seeking your life soulmate that later, through a discovery process, you realize that that person is not God's will for your life. It's also a fact that the farther you go into a relationship, that hearts become more involved. That's all part of it. It stands to reason then that determining the wrong one for you should be determined as early as possible. For relationship is like the barbs of a hook. The deeper it goes, the more damage there is in pulling it out. So at the beginning of the relationship, it is imperative that the two are completely honest with each other. That they examine the past, that they see what is truly present, and work together what the vision is of a future together. It is asking the hard questions, it's dealing with the truth up front, because the farther down the road you go, the hearts begin to get knit closer together. And that is normal and should be expected. Also, as you go farther down the road, the truth comes out who you really are. If it was something different than what was stated at the beginning, it then becomes a painful conflict. A heart that was being knit together, yet knowing that that relationship should probably end. And that's what happens when the heart gets, it's probably, it's not, no, this needs to end. It's, uh, uh, there's no guarantee of not getting hurt. 
through seeking a life mate. But here are a few things that I think make some really good sense. And by the way, I've been preaching through uh, the homework book, just using that as a guide. And so some of the messages will sound like those chapters, but this chapter here, I totally disagree with the author. I think he's made a big excuse for his kids. They came out all right. I mean, it's all right. God's in things. God worked things out. But number one, don't get involved with pre-marriage seeking activities. In other words, before you're ready to marry. Girlfriends, boyfriends, going steady, couple events masqueraded by being just friends. <laughs> just friends, a boy and a girl. Yeah. Uh, for one, it's playing with emotions and lust that need not to be excited. Turn to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, I want to begin in verse 20, and I'm going to go ahead and keep going here. You can catch up. Proverbs 6, 20, my son, listen to this, my son. You can see parent, a parent thought in this. My son, keep thy father's commandment, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart, and tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is light. And the reproofs of instruction are the, ways, are the way of life. To keep thee, listen to this, from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman, lust not after her beauty in thine heart, and let her, neither let her take thee with her eyelids <laughs> or her nose twitches or whatever that is. It says, for by means of a whorish woman, a man is, listen to this, men, by the means of a whorish woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. It's after you. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? So he that goeth to his neighbor's wife, whosoever toucheth her shall not be innocent. Now I want you to hold your place in the scriptures right there. And I'm going to make a statement and then we're going to come back. Now you say this is talking about infidelity of marriage and that would be correct. But may I tell you, when you fool around with someone before marriage, it is fornication. And if you do not marry that person, you are fooling around with someone else's spouse to be. When two get married, nobody wants to deal with the other's previous relationships. Those need to be buried like God does our sin as far as the east is from the west and the depths of the sea. You better bury those things. I don't even acknowledge this stuff. Now, let's look at Proverbs 6.34. For jealousy is the rage of a man. Therefore, he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not regard any ransom. Neither will he rest content 
though thou givest many gifts. Number two, don't seek a mate until you are within view of being able to support each other emotionally and financially. Number three, set some clear levels of relationship status. Whatever terms you use, <laughs> make sure you define them. Don't assume the other understands those terms. <laughs> Make sure that you communicate precisely what you mean so that you're on the same page. Here are some suggestions. A, let's call it, you can call it whatever you want. Let's just call it friendship stage or whatever you want to entitle it. It's with parents' approval and oversight, perhaps counsel from a pastor even. It's not a bad idea. <laughs> Go to the person's pastor and learn a little bit. Found him as a good pastor. Got some wise, careful counsel. Hearts are guarded, very much guarded in this stage. It's a fact-gathering stage. A time to explore each other's past, a time to understand the person by the evidence of the families and the environments that they were raised in. Really good time to do that, spend time with families. How their families interact with one another. And though the young adult may have some different views from their parents on certain things, which is good. I'm hoping they have better views than their parents in spiritual things. I expect that. I would hope that. And certainly there are things that they may grow differently. But the way they were raised, listen to this, are deep-seated and should be carefully considered. B, I call this the courtship or, or dating stage, and these should be defined, these are time periods where you define them, okay? Okay, we move from this point, we're gonna go to this point. Call it courtship, call it dating, I don't care what you call it, but define it. This ought to be with parents' approval and oversight, and you say, Parents, parents are all, you know, aren't these kids? Listen, your parents are where your treasure is. They're where your heart be also. Your parents love you. Above all things, they got all this investment in you. They're not going to steer you wrong. Whew. Keep them involved. Perhaps counsel again from a pastor. Certain guards and rules established in this, such as no physical touch. And may I add, <laughs> no emotional touch through words like I love you, things that penetrate the heart. Those are touches too. Accountability established. Also, a fair amount of time established in this stage. How much time? A time where you can see how each other is when challenged. A time to see true character when you are challenged by a lack of sleep, a bad day when you are mad at someone or mad at each other. See how it goes. Give it time for that. A time where the real you cannot be hid. Anymore. You skip, you, you don't give this enough time. 
you'll end up marrying somebody you didn't know. Might have some regrets. A time where you feel comfortable saying uncomfortable things if needed to be said. A time where each other is unguarded and can clearly communicate how they feel. A time that reveals where each other truly is spiritually. Not just, and this is true about all Christian life, it's not so much about where you are, but more importantly, where are they going and how are they growing? 2 Corinthians 6.14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are in the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore come out among them, wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. For sure, this tells us not to marry someone who is not saved. But there's a principle here that can be applied. The only way two can be happy together in one flesh, which you will be when you get married, is that if they are both following the Word of God. But there are different definitions for what that looks like to people. Is that attending church on the holidays and doing some good works, being moral and giving to charities? While others... It is at the church every day the doors are open. And by the way, which church is that? Or is it separate churches? Patty's grandparents, they two different churches they went to. God's worked in their life. is an amazing story. I never demean anything. God did, did a mighty work and saved her grandfather and grandmother. There are other things as well, such as cultures and activities career emphasis and moving required in the pursuit of that there could be it could be because of a certain type of profession you marry a senator a doctor who's on call all the time i know this sounds silly what if you marry the president of the united states or perhaps someone who is called to be a missionary. Many a Christian marriage with good Christian people have fallen apart because of an unequal yoke of direction and calling. I know First Baptist up there, they, they try to get these people into the field because some of them get married and then their marriages tear apart when they get into the mission field because they just one couldn't accept it. Well, how about what do you feel about having children? And how will you raise them? Now, there not be, may be any perfect unity in some of these areas, okay? But if they are really deep-seated convictions of opposition, those should be considered as reasons to depart 
doing to just, just being unequally yoked. You're not going to walk together down the road. One's going to go here, one's going to go there. How can you do that in a marriage? And then uh, I recommend a third stage, the engagement stage. Engagement is interesting. I, I believe this is the commitment to marriage. With parents' approval and parents' oversight and marriage counseling from a pastor, a good one, who understands what marriage is about, who understands what Christ and the church is about. This is where the hearts are opened one to another. Therefore, I believe this should be a brief time. A time of careful physical separation. A time for the girl to be consumed. This works out great with wedding plans. <laughs> that can consume a girl. The bridezilla. <laughs> Turn her into a bridezilla for a while. A time for the guy to be consumed with <gasps> preparation of the home. I got to get all this stuff together and make sure I got all these things together before we get married. A time to study and truly understand what you're going into marriage. All of this leading to a day when a man and his wife say, I do. Let's pray. Heads bowed and eyes closed, pianist coming to play. What a wonderful thing. What marriage is a wonderful thing. If we could see it through Christ. And then we can apply it to our life. That's the only way we're going to have a really good marriage. May we seek God's best in His ways. May we use these principles He set out for us. May we just fall in deep prayer for our children. For that time. May we guard them as parents. And may we build that confidence while they're young. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I appreciate all of you listening to the message, Lord, that the Lord has given us. And I just trust that He's spoken to your heart, your soul, and He's done something mighty in your heart today. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your blessed Word. Thank You for Jesus. Thank You for a day that's ahead. We live in an evil day. But let's do all, all to stand. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.